You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk chapter 2. So you can have your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, as we will be um, looking at that in just a few moments as we continue on in our series, uh, When Hope Seems Hard. And so as we continue on in that, we're going to look Habakkuk 2, have that ready to go as we're going to work through a good number of verses today. The person on the screen that you see right now is a mixed martial arts fighter. His name is Conor McGregor. And if you follow this sport or even in the news, you may have heard of him, you may have seen him. In his last fight, just in the month of January, that fight only lasted 40 seconds. And he claims to have, that it landed him a cool $80 million was his payday. And not only is he a strong Irishman, but he is also a tenacious fighter. He's crude, he's rude, he's brash, he's the king of trash talking. He's as arrogant as they come in so many different ways. Here are some of the quotes that I found this week online about uh, things that he has said. I fear no man. If you breathe oxygen, I do not fear you. And he's just a little short nothing of a guy. Nothing against short people, but, you know, just, just saying, he, he's this tough guy. Another quote, the only weight I care about is the weight of the checks, and my checks are super heavyweight. Now listen to this one. Me and Jesus are cool. I'm cool with all the gods. Gods recognize gods. And it's just like, you really said that. How arrogant. Why doesn't God do something about a guy like that? Like, zap, you know, just like, mm, you're done. You know, why, 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 why does God allow someone with that sort of blasphemy be able to say something along those lines? But, you know, just pile it up with a whole nother pile of injustices that we face in this world. It just seems everywhere you turn, there's injustice going on. Just pay attention to the news. It doesn't take long, very long at all, for one's blood to start to boil a little bit and to get a little concerned and upset and conclude things are just not right on this planet. Things are not right in my family. They are not right in the workplace. They are not working at, at, right in society. And you may even at times, even in your own life, be disillusioned with the church of Jesus Christ and say things aren't even right with the church of Jesus Christ these days. This Week we have been seeing across our nation protests and blockades, anarchists really, across the country, slowing down the movement of goods and services and bringing certain segments of our economy to a halt, affecting the finances and the business practices of hard-working Canadians. And it seems these protesters can do whatever they want and they get away with it and they don't get arrested, they don't get charged, it just seems they can go and do this, they can get away with breaking the law. Injustice, I tell you, it's not right. Or the injustice that we see continually and have heard about for, for even at times years, things like the poverty, world poverty, homelessness, sex trafficking, drug deals and drug dealers, and organized crime, all kinds of abuse that we could talk about that goes on in homes and lives and churches and schools and, and just all across society, the immorality that we see. I mean, we could just go on and on and get really, I mean, just keep piling on the injustice that we see. And at times it seems like the wicked are winning. And the people who desire to worship the Lord are weeping and just like, God, what is going on? It seems that people today can choose to sin and live ungodly lifestyles and have parades to celebrate it, and all politicians and people come out to celebrate it and, 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 and rejoice in these lifestyles, while taking a stand for biblical truth and biblical values will land you in a heap load of trouble on social media, and it may perhaps even cost you greatly in other ways, and I believe that is coming. The more that we speak the truth in God's word in a darkening society, the more trouble we will get into. 
Whether it, and, and maybe you're just like, okay, those are the big things out there, but students, those of you in, in, in school, whether that be in elementary or high school or university or whatever studies you're in, you, you think of that person who cheats, who cheats and, and, and brags about it, and they get straight A's. They end up getting on the dean's list or the principal's list, and they get the scholarships, and it's just like, it's so unfair. I'm working hard. I'm trying to be honest, and if you're like me, you're a solid D student, you know, and, and you're trying all you want, and, and others, it seems, again, the wicked are winning. It's like, doesn't seem fair, or the dishonest, lazy person at work, or, or the person with business practices that are under the table that aren't right, and, and yet it's those people that seem to get the promotions, and everything they seem to touch turns to gold, and, or, or, or at least to money, and, 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 and they get the raises, they get the top performer awards, and you're like, I'm trying to do it honestly, I'm trying to do it properly, I'm trying to do it by the big book, the, the word of God, but also the standards in our office are standard in the workplace, the standards that we see across society, and, and I'm struggling, I'm barely making it, I'm trying to put bread on the table, it doesn't seem right. Well, the wicked seem to be winning once again. It's questions and it's dilemmas like this that lead people to reject biblical Christianity. And all of us have probably known people who have rejected biblical Christianity. They've rejected God. They've rejected Jesus because of the things, some of these things we just listed here. It causes some people to conclude there is no God. Because if there was a God, how could a God of love, how could the God of the Bible, if he's real, allow evil and suffering and, and, and this sort of injustice to take place and not step in and do something about it? I was reading this past week that after the Holocaust, that the, na- the, the nation of Israel as well as the Jewish people population around the world in, j- just in mass ended up rejecting Judaism, ended up rejecting the God of the Bible, and and. and Many became atheists and said, there must be no God. If this is what our people, if this is what God has allowed and he did not step in, we're not going to believe. And so oftentimes people can be there. Maybe you are here today and you are on the fence or maybe you're already there. And you're already saying, there is no way that a God of love could allow these things to happen. And I don't know how, how I stand with, with this God. I don't know what I think about him. I don't know what to do with him. And yet it's interesting that as you study and, 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 and do some research, you see those who have adopted an atheistic belief have higher rates of depression and suicide. Their rates of that is just astronomical because they are finding that there is no hope. Other people will conclude that, yes, God is a God of love, and yes, God does care, but, but he's not all-powerful. He's like a fireman running to the fire to put it out, and he was kept, he, he, he was caught off guard in regards to it. That he lacks the power to be able to, the power and the strength, and that his wisdom, it's limited. And even for, and I'm not just talking about the atheist, I'm talking even for the long season follower of Christ, the person who is raised in the church and will die in the church, and has continued on throughout their life and came to a place of saving faith in their life, but even the most mature believers will at times struggle with what we are talking about here today, all of the injustice. We can have a hard time reconciling what we see in the world and the truth of God's word and the character of God because we've experienced some of this injustice. Not only in the world do we see it, but in our own lives. Habakkuk is a faithful prophet of God, and he was confused. A faithful prophet who was confused. His name even means to wrestle. But his name also has a double meaning. It means to wrestle, but also grab hold. And through his testimony here in this book, and the testimony of his life, and it can be the testimony of your life and the testimony of my life, that we can wrestle. But as we wrestle with these questions, and as we wrestle today, and as we examine our own hearts today, oh dear loved ones, oh dear church, oh dear struggling person of faith here today, would we know, would we see, would we grab hold of God 
And to know that as we do that, he will grab hold of us and he will see us through. And so Habakkuk is wrestling. He's wrestling, he's, he, he's concerned, he's confused, he's sad, he's disappointed, first of all, about the condition of God's people. Basically, he was concerned about the condition of the church in his day. They were embracing all kinds of false religions and teachings and idolatry, and they were straying away from the God of the Bible and the teaching of the Bible. And now, as he knows and as he's warned, has been put on notice by God, and, and as they had already seen happen to the northern kingdom, this is a nation whose fate is at stake. Who, and, and, and even though this is all going on, and they know that boom, 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 something's happening, the storm clouds are on the horizon, they don't care. They're just going to keep on going. He's like, God, don't, don't you see this? God, hello, are you sleeping, God? What's going on here? And do something about your people. And God answers him as we saw in chapter. He says, oh, I am doing something. In fact, what I'm doing, you're not going to believe what I'm doing. If I was to told you, you wouldn't believe. I'm not sleeping. I'm on the job. I've got this planned out, but you're not going to believe it. And Habakkuk, you're not going to like it because I'm going to use the Babylonians. This mighty power that is gaining speed, gaining traction, looking for world domination. I'm going to use that to bring justice to my people. Well, I mean, just with this, Habakkuk flies off the handle even more. He says, okay, God, okay, I, I don't understand. How could you use even a more wicked group of people, the Babylonians, to deal with your chosen, loved people? How can you do this? And so last week, as we saw in the beginning of chapter 2, in his confusion, in this injustice that he hears that is coming, that just doesn't seem so right, God, I don't know how can you, you can use a people like the Babylonians to chastise your people. We see that, what does he do at the beginning of chapter 2? He pulls away. He pulls away. He gets alone with God. He goes to his watchtower, a place high above, a place to get away from the distraction, and there he meets with God. And you see, we want answers from God, right? I mean, how many times we're driving? How many times we're falling asleep? How many times through the day, through, through the time? We have questions like, I would just like to know what God is doing or what God is thinking or what God's plan is in what it is that we see in this world or what I, that I'm facing. But the problem is, we're so busy, we're so distracted, we're so into the gods of hurry and worry that we don't have time to be able to spend time with God to figure this out. And like Habakkuk, we need to take our confusion and our frustration and our questions to God. We need to silence the voices, the distractions, and get alone with God. And we need to do this on a daily basis. We need to have that centering time in the Word of God daily. That time where we are reading the Word, not just as a checkmark, but as a transformational opportunity for us as we read the Word and we study the Word and we look how we can apply the Word of God in our lives. And it's amazing how through the day the Word of God will come alive and it will give us wisdom, answers and, and truths that we don't even know, that things that we've been reading before, that all of a sudden the Lord just gives you wisdom and understanding to be able to speak those truths to others or to understand and comprehend in a biblical way what is taking place. We need to silence those voices and distractions daily, but we, even at time to time, we need to just get away. Get away alone with God and meet with Him. Take your Bible, pray, and ask God to meet you. And the primary way He will do this is when you open the Word of God. Keeping our eyes fastened throughout the day, but also then those times when we get away with God into the Word of God. Not being fascinated and fastened to a person's story or even to a great preacher's sermons. We need to go to the one and only God of the universe and see what he has to say. Not about people's stories or feelings or man-made revelations. That's not what we're into. We're into the Word of God. And yet we so oftentimes allow those gods of hurry and worry to run the day to overpower. Happens so often. And so in chapter 2, we see Habakkuk getting away, and, and we saw last part of last week how God came and met him. And, and, and in verse 4, let's look at it again. And so Habakkuk 2, starting in verse 4, he says, God is saying, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And here God is describing two kinds of people, two streams of humanity. There is the kingdom 
people of the kingdom and people of the culture. He's talking about the proud and the arrogant, and he's talking about the humble and the one who trusts God by faith. And the only way you can truly trust God by faith is being humble. It's realizing you cannot save yourself. None of your possessions, none of your accomplishments, nothing can save you. It's humbling yourself before God at the foot of the cross and say, I can't, God. I receive you. I accept what you have done by faith, and the just will live by faith. Habakkuk is told here. The proud, the arrogant person the self-reliant, or we have the humble yourself before the Lord person. And see, God is not just describing here in verse 4 and even in the following verses, He's not just describing the Babylonians, even though He is. He's not just referring simply to them. He's talking about us. He's talking about society. Here we are, 2,500 years later from this being written, and the same struggle and the same battles that we're fighting in the flesh are still with us today. We think we've become so smart, so educated. No, we're just as sinful and we're just battling with the same things that humanity have ba- has battled with since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But so oftentimes, folks, we can easily become like the Babylonians. We can easily have a proud heart. We can be like the Israelites who are straying away from God. We can become proud of our accomplishments, about our ability, my work, my family, my church. Maybe you're even thinking, oh, my church is so lucky to have me. Oh, if you're thinking that, repent of that. Oh, my family is so lucky to have a a, a mother, a father like me. Or maybe you kids are thinking, I'm just a model child. My parents are so lucky to have me. Repent of that. That's just proud, arrogant. And and, and, and it might be joking. It might be just kind of, you know, like minor kind of thoughts. But it's starting to lead you down a dangerous path that is such dangerous thinking because it starts creeping in. And so this, the, the proud, the arrogant, the self-reliant, it can creep into our lives so easily. And, and so, and then we see in chapter, in verse 5, God starts to give a greater description of the proud person, of the arrogant person. And let's look at verse 5. He says, moreover, wine is a traitor. Interesting. Now, depending on what translation you have, some translations will say wealth is a traitor. The ESV says wine is a traitor. And just so you have an understanding why the difference is that the Hebrew word is so similar between wealth and, and, and wine. And, and, and so, so basically, commentators or, 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 or Bible scholars kind of say, okay, they're so similar. And yet, both of them work. And, 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 and just whether it's wine or wealth, I'll continue on. Is it says, moreover, wine or wealth is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, which is a reference to the realm of death. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And so whether it is wine or whether it is wealth, these things are traitors. And we can never get enough of these things. And, and you think of the, the drunkard. We think of the person who starts with little bits of alcohol or a person who starts making some money and it's just like, after a little while, you just can't stop. You need more and more and more. And, and it ends up trading us. And, it, and, and it, it, it ends up resulting in greed, but also in death. And so it's so dangerous because a proud heart he's describing here is an unsatisfied heart. A proud heart is never satisfied. It's never at rest. It's always wondering, always thinking, what are people thinking of me? What about this? What if I do this? And it's never at rest. And now the remainder of the chapter, and where we're going to spend our time this morning, we have some warnings, a, a prophetic utterance from God of what would one day happen to the Israelite people from the Babylonians. But it's also a warning Five warnings, five woes to anyone, even today, living here on the face of this earth, who does not turn from their sin and ultimately turn to Jesus. And so, from verse 6 on, we have these five woes or warning that if not heeded, will bring judgment. Now, a woe is basically another word for warning. It's a warning to the wicked. And it's a reminder to the faithful that justice is coming. You might say, you know what, well, Lindy, from what I understand and even what we're going to hear today, the God of the Old Testament is a lot different than the God of the New Testament. God in the Old Testament seems angry. I mean, we even get these woes here and these warnings. But can I draw your attention to the book of Matthew? And I think it's chapter 23, Jesus, the loving one. 
one who came to this earth, who gave himself, what does he give? He gives a list of woes and warnings to the proud, to the spiritually self-sufficient, to those who are arrogant, and he's giving them woes. Heed the warning or else you will face judgment. It's the same God. And we see here, and and we're going to see today, we're going to see his love. We're also going to see his wrath, and we see it in these warnings here, and we even see his love, and we see his warnings through these woes. And so the very first thing, I encourage you to write these down, five statements or five reminders that God will have the final say. Five reminders, five statements that God will one day have the final say. And the first one, I encourage you to write this down, the plunderer will be plundered. Look what it says, verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against us with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? And loads himself with pledges, which basically means becoming rich by extortion, he's talking here. Well, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? In other words, the tables are going to turn. Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. This was a description of the Babylonian nation that was coming and what they would do. And how they were consumed with ambition. And how they were consumed with world domination. How they stole ruthlessly, violently, plundered and pillaged the people, wherever they were, no one was going to get in their way, and no one did get in their way because they were so mighty and so powerful. And as a result, they accomplished, accumulated so much. They would stop at nothing to enlarge their tents, to enlarge their wealth, their kingdom. Now, folks, get, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with ambition. We should be, as believers in Christ, the most ambitious people. We should be the, the hardest working people on the face of this earth. But it's what are we ambitious for? We are to be ambitious. Romans 15 reminds us we are to be ambitious. We see Paul being ambitious when it comes to preaching the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, he talks about how we need to be ambitious to please God, to pursue Him, to pursue holiness and and, and right living before God. 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, be ambitious or, or always be abounding in kingdom work. In the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do. And so this applies to your work. It applies to your studies. It applies to how you clean the house. Clean the car. It's how you do any of your service for the Lord. We do it for the glory of, the, uh, for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. Not your fame, not your glory, not your pocketbook ultimately. God may bless and, 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 and that can be an, an end product, but it's not for the pursuit ultimately of wealth. It's God's glory. You see, we're in a different kingdom. And if your life is about the nest egg and about the money and it's about the accomplishments and about what people are going to say about you, you're living in a different kingdom. You're living in the kingdom of the culture that we're living in. And this is why we need this redirection because we're, we're just, we just get so tricked so easily by the pressures and the taunts and the temptation of this world. We have a cat. It took a lot for me to say, and I'm getting used to it, and, and, and I always saw that as weakness in, in a man, and, and now I, I find that it's okay to have a cat, especially like ours, it's cool. But it's so dumb. I mean, some of the things you do, I mean, when you take a laser pointer, you know, and you're, it's like, haven't they learned sooner or later that you can't catch it, that it's impossible? You think, they're so dumb. But aren't we too? We easily get so distracted and so easily, oh, you know, right over here. And, and oh, I need that. I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want to accomplish this. And how we need to continue to keep coming back and being centered in kingdom culture, in kingdom living. But like the proud, like the Babylonians, our ambition can so oftentimes be greedy, selfish, abusive, materialistic, wrong, prideful. And so easily our heart and motives can deceive us. If we're not careful, it can take us to places and cause us to do things that in the end will cost us greatly. God said the plunderer will be plundered. The thief, whether it's a blue-collared thief, you know, a smash-and-grab kind of thief, breaking into cars, breaking into houses, 
or whether it's the white-collar thief fudging the books, doing things a little off, you know, off book or whatever it might be in the way that, that, that we try to better our, 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 our cause or our, our bottom line. God says that the plunder will be plundered. You will be caught. Whether it's in this life or the next, it will be exposed. We will be eventually called to give an account of what we have said, what we have done, what we've accumulated, how we've accumulated it, and have we used it for God's kingdom's sake or are we just using it for our own? And if it's using it for our own, it'll be worthless and it won't mount up to anything. Listen to what God's word says about wealth. There's some scripture verses I encourage you to take and read it because it's not you just say, well, Melvin, that's a backup and he was a little ticked off and you know, maybe he got things a little wrong from God here. No, Proverbs 22, it says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the, ri- or, or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Or Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little increases. He's talking about slow and steady work. So oftentimes we're looking for the big, fast, quick payout, aren't we? And it's slow and steady. Proverbs 10, there's also another reminder there, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. And Jesus then said in Matthew 6, he said, wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. Does money and wealth control us or do we control it and use it for God's kingdom's sake? Are we using it for God's glory or for our own? Do a hard examination there. Where are you at with that? Because we're going to constantly keep, keep being woed and wooed towards that. You know, the interesting thing about God's word, in, in, uh, about 25% of it is prophetic. 25% of it, as the authors were writing it, were events that had not yet happened. 25% of it is about events that were yet to happen, like the birth of Christ. And now that's been fulfilled. Many prophecies have been fulfilled, but there are still those prophecies about the return of Christ, about the coming kingdom, about the end times, everything that will happen, those are still yet to, to happen. And so 25% of it is prophetic, and, and many, of it has ta- many of the things have taken place. And, and, and here what God was telling Habakkuk about what would happen to the Israelites, what would happen to Judah, what would happen to Jerusalem, it happened. The Babylonians, he told them, were coming, and they did come. They did bring destruction. They did destroy the temple in a series of raids. But God also promised the plunder will be plundered. The plunder will be plundered that they too will receive what they were given. Remember in Daniel 5, and you can take and you can read that, we, we, we preached through the book of Daniel, I think it was two years ago, those messages are available on the website, and we talked about this specifically, how Babylon fell. It wasn't even a very long time that they had their rule and their reign. And when did it happen? It happened in Daniel uh, chapter 5 when there was a great big pe- uh, feast and party. They were all drunk, and the Medo-Persians came in and attacked Babylon, taking over world dominance. The plunder were plundered. It happened. Here's another woe that God warns us about. The secure will be secured. Verses 9 to 11, we see that. Now, in our backyard, just before we get to that, I want to just, just show you this picture. Here in our backyard, we, uh, well, you can see our cedars that we have, and, and that's our nice little deer blanket to keep the deer away from mun- uh, munching all winter long on there. And um, but, but lately, and we've had this happen, and through the winter, you can just keep it up for a little bit longer here as, as we talk about this, because you'll get perspective of things, that, that when the heavy snow falls, that it weights down the branches, and sometimes they start bending, and sometimes you'll see these cedars breaking and their branches being destroyed. And so a lot of times, and it happened just a, a few weeks ago, I, I, I took this nice little golf ball retriever, and you can see it there in the picture, so you get a perspective of how high um, it is. And so I would take my, you know, and this is also, to be used for anyone falling asleep. <laughs> you know, so after I'm done here, ushers, just be ready. You just pick this up and you can, this is like the long arm of the law here, you know, so, so we can do a little face, uh, you know, little encouragement and put a little round mark on you or something. Anyways, um, so, so I'll, take and I'll, I'll take and I'll just start banging off the, the tree branches and, and kind of giving it to them to get the snow off and I get some snow on me. Well, I'm out there doing it, the, you know, a couple weeks ago and as I'm doing this, I scream. 
I scream like, well, as I might say, and it's again, no offense to, uh, to schoolgirls, but I scream like a schoolgirl. And I was, ah, what is that? And, and out of the tree as I'm shaking them, and it continued to happen for, I didn't scream every time then, the first time I did, and then I was bracing myself for it. There would be like these quail that would come flying out from the trees, from up high near the top of the trees. They're hiding in there, and we always, what happened to those little things in the wintertime? You never see them. And, and well, now I know where they're hanging out. And the first time, there's a about 20 of them I counted just like, and it was late at night, it was dark. They just fluttered around and coming around, you know, scared. I mean, it was just pretty crazy. Well, they were there for safety. They were there for security. It makes sense. Who knew? I didn't know that. Well, verse 9. Look at this, how it applies to God's word. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. This is living for safety and security, which is a good thing. But when it says you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. And just as birds, God is saying, just as birds build their nest high up in the trees for their safety and security, God says, sorrow awaits the person whose focus is on themselves for their own safety, trying to buy safety and security at the expense of other people. They're wanting to kind of be beyond the reach of others. And, 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 and this is doing it dishonestly, selfishly. And God is saying to, here to Habakkuk, he's saying here to us, build your nests. You can do all of this. However, be, be forewarned, be aware that no amount of money, no success can protect you from the Lord. You, you just can't. If our focus and our goal is simply for our own safety and security and living, and we're living small and very selfish lives, the secure will one day be unsecured. Can I call your attention, perhaps, and I believe this does fit in here, our own pursuits on this earth. We can get so busy building our lives and our kingdoms and our businesses and our portfolios and our retirement and and we may be doing it above board, and we're doing it through hard work. But we're doing it and we're robbing God. We're robbing others. Rather than Him getting our first and best as a God who has saved us deserves and requires, we give Him our leftovers. And sometimes that's not very much. God oftentimes ends up getting just a little rush part of the day or... When it comes to our time or our, our, our treasure, our talents, it's, well, if I got time, I'm, I'm pretty busy. And see, that's coming from a, a heart that needs kingdom focus. We're focusing too much on a kingdom of the world that will not last, rather than a kingdom that is forever. And just as birds and eagles and we can build our lives, you will build a life, but you will be alone. There won't be the joy of seeing God work in and through your time, your treasure, your talents, because you've just been given leftovers. He's like, I got nothing for you. And just as the birds build their nests on high above thinking of their own safety and security, God says, watch out. This picture is now that you'll see on the screen is the infamous Kelston House. I don't know if I said that right. Does that sound right to you Germans? Do you, anyone know Kelston House? It is a mountain, but it's also the place where Adolf Hitler was given for his 50th birthday party from the Nazi party, this castle. This retreat, this getaway is a castle situated high atop the Kelston House mountain in Germany. You go online, you look at the, I mean, it's just picturesque and it's quite the castle. It's built into the rock. There's a castle that was, was there signifying the high point, signifying dominance and power. Adolf Hitler was known to go there at least 14 times, but however, one little thing about that cruel monster is he was afraid of heights, so he didn't actually like going there very much. I mean, he could invoke havoc and so much destruction on this world, and he was afraid of heights, so just like, okay, he truly was a wimp. But it's so interesting to think that this was built as a name, as a, as, 
And, and, and you know what it was called, ironically? It was called the nest. It was called the eagle's nest. Building safety and security. And what does God have to say? Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You know what happened in the eagle's nest in April 1945? It was bombed by allied forces and suffered great destruction. Today it's a coffee house and a tourist attraction. Even the mighty Hitler and his eagle's nest was dislodged and destroyed. The third woe that we see here, their civilization will be replaced by devastation. Verse 12, it says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? He's saying, Woe to them who are shedding innocent blood to advance their goals and their achievements and wealth. And that's what happened to the Babylonians. They did that. They shed innocent blood like you would not believe. And this has happened not just then, but it's also happened through history. And God says, those who come along like this and are building these civilizations and doing it with blood on their hands, they will one day face devastation. The shedding of innocent blood. And you think it's been terrible, some of the things through the terrible dictators and the terrible regimes throughout the history, the Babylonians being one of them. And that civilization was reduced to nothing. The shedding of innocent blood, does that happen today? Yeah, it happens today through murders, terrorism, wars, factions going on. The shedding of innocent blood happens. But you know this, that the leading cause of death, unless things drastically change in our world, but the leading cause of death for 2020 will not be the coronavirus. It won't be. It won't be cancer. It won't be heart disease. In fact, you could take all of those, coronavirus, you can take all of cancer, all the heart disease, you can lump it all together and it still will not be the leading cause of death. You know what the leading cause of death was in 2019? And again, unless things drastically change, it will be in 2020. Abortion. 42 million abortions will take place worldwide in 2020. That's more than one per second. That's 80 a minute for the sake of convenience, for the sake of career, for the sake of advancement. An actress who recently won a Golden Globe, I won't even say her name, I don't even want to give her the credit because she credited her professional success to having an abortion. She said, and I quote, as she was receiving her, reward, her award on earth, I wouldn't, have to, I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. And the crowd cheered. Charlotte was telling me about a doctor at the coast and she's gone on her website and looked at it and who does abortions all week long and then on the weekend she uses her clinic to be involved in MAID, medical assistance in death. Patients, sick people, at the end of life are coming to her for the end of life assistance. Oh, it's all worded nicely and with nice words on her website. But we cannot figure out, we have discussed this a number of times, how does this woman sleep at night? Knowing that throughout the week she's murdering, on the weekend she's murdering. She's not helping. She's causing devastation. Now please understand this. If you have had an abortion, if a friend of you, if you've been involved in making a decision about an abortion, please understand God is gracious, God is loving, God heals, God forgives, God knows, and God will meet you. And God will forgive when we turn to him in humility and confession and we confess that is a sin before God, he will forgive. So know that. Know that. It's from God's word. There's healing, there's hope. But it makes a person wonder how and when will God judge the nations because of all of this? And God's word tells us he will. That civilization will face devastation as a result of what's happening. And it happened to Babylon and it will happen to us one day. It's, this is happening. This devastation of society is happening on our watch. What do we do about this genocide? You say, wow, this is quite the message. Happy family day weekend, pastor. 
I didn't think I was going to come and get this this morning. I thought I was going to light and fluffy. No, you won't get that here. You're going to get God's Word. And this is what was on target to preach today, and we're going to continue. But I love this. I love this because in the midst of the woe, God says, wow, wait for it. Wow, watch this. Wow, it's coming. Look at verse 14. It's this, this incredible little interlude that God gives in the midst of this. And he says, and it's such an awesome verse, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says, one day, one day, one day, the glory of the Lord will fill this entire earth, the entire world, the entire universe. When Jesus Christ reigns and rules supreme, one day it will happen. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day. One day. Now back to the woes. The fourth woe. The glory will become their shame. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Goes on. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's hand right, in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as you, as will the devastation or destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell. And again, he's saying the glory, their glory, what they're doing in might and power will become their shame. Babylon was a nation known to be predators, always seeking prey. But God, God dealt with them, as we said in Daniel chapter 5, you can read that. But this speaks of the person, the country, the business, the whoever it is that lures people in by their sinful, with sinful traps in order to take advantage of them. And God says once again, what goes around will come around. You reap what you sow. I will have the final say. This isn't karma. Please don't use that word. I, I, I encourage believers in Christ if you believe in Christ, don't use that word even just, you know, in, in talking, oh, is that ever karma what happened to that person? Because karma is new age. It is a, a power within yourself, of the, either the good or the bad, that you think that because of the power that you have, because of good or bad or the good or bad things that people do, the karma comes back is either bad. If you do bad, it's going to come back. And, 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 and that's, that, that's Eastern mysticism that's setting you up as a god. And so, and you say, Melvin, it's just a word. Yeah, don't use it. Use God's justice. Use reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. That's biblical. We see that in God's word. Clear and simple, but that's no, just a little advertisement for free. Just, um, but, but encourage it. Words do matter. And, and we don't want to ascribe to, to Eastern mysticism stuff that needs to stay there and not come into our language. The last woe in, um, that we see here in, in verse 18 as we continue on. It says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped a metal? image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation, and he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to wooden things, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Babylonians and the had, had idols for their gods. And they were turning, and, they, and even God's people were doing this, they were turning and worship created things. Idols of wood, of stone, of precious metals, rather than the creator God. That's idolatry, and you say, well, we're not that dumb. We don't bow down to, to the idols of, of wood and stone like that, covered with gold. That, that's just silly. No, we just have gold cover cases for our phones, Right? And maybe it's not wood or, or precious metals, but it's precious plastic. Um, idolatry, the things that we worship. We worship, worship created things rather than the creator. We worship stuff, material things. We worship ourselves. We do that in, in deciding and choosing what's always best for me. If you're a person who always thinks, well, is this good for me? Is this going to you know, help me, make me look at then Then you're worshiping yourself and you're a, an idolater. 
Entertainment, money in the bank, sex, that next trip, that next vacation. If that's what we're dreaming about, if that's our goals, our kids can become an idol in our life where they're the ones that set the schedule. They're the ones that, that we bow down to and we're the ones. And, and yes, we are to be good parents, but we are to lead them in the things and the ways of the Lord first and primary in our lives. When we make everything revolve around them, are you happy? You only want you to be happy? No, sometimes your kids aren't going to be happy. Sometimes they're going to be disciplined and they're not going to like it. They're not going to love you, but you're going to love them. We continually are worshiping someone or something around us. Something at the center of lives. And, and, and I wonder, who is it for you? Is it Jesus? Is it our God and our Savior, our Creator, our Sustainer? Or is it other people or other things? Because this passage reminds us that, that if we have a faith in God... He is to be at the center of our lives. And whatever it is that we place there instead of Him, it won't deliver. Sin promises life. Sin promises a party. Sin says you're missing out if you're not doing it. And at times, again, it looks like the wicked are winning. The sinful are the ones having all the fun, their posts, their, their stories, all of these different things that, that they're declaring and sharing out there for everyone to see. But it won't deliver. It will be empty. And even in their happiness and their joy and their beautiful lace pictures that they're taking of themselves, hey, just having a great time. There's an emptiness and a despair, and it's like, I still haven't found it. What is it? It's because true joy, true success, true fulfillment is only found in Jesus. And so God, this is the sweet thing about him. We see these five woes. We see these five woes, these, these lists of sins of the Babylonians of what was going to come and how God was going to treat them, but these sins were also typical of God's people, the Israelites, and they're also typical of sins of people today. And one day he will punish, just as he punished the Babylonians, just as he punished his own people, he will punish people today, he will punish you and I today. God always punishes sin. Always has, always will. Yet the beautiful thing that in the midst of judgment, there's mercy. You see, in the midst of all of this, there's a choice. Either we move away from God in our pursuits, or we run to Him. We run to Him in repentance and faith. You see, God's offer of salvation, it was available for the Babylonians. It was. It was available to the wayward Israelites, he would have relented. He would have saved if they would have turned, if they would have returned to God, if they would have acknowledged Him as the one true God. But you see, our belief will determine our conduct. How we live today, how we live today will determine where our faith is, who we're putting that faith in, and will ultimately determine our destiny, where we end up. And today, you are in one of two camps. Today, either you are a person who has truly placed your faith, your life, your future, your eternity in the hands of God, Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, or your faith is in something or someone else that will eventually fail you. But in the midst of judgment, there's mercy. God doesn't remove his judgment. He doesn't change his mind about saying, eh, yeah, I've softened up a little bit in that area. Just go right ahead there, partner. No, he, he doesn't do that. He redirects it. He redirects his judgment. He redirects it and places it on the shoulders of his son who came to this earth as God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death on the cross, that to all who acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and that his work on the cross was for me, it was sufficient, he forgives, he forgave me, and in that moment as we trust him to be that in our lives, that he becomes, he, we are saved, we are justified, and the wrath, the judgment coming our way is placed on Jesus. Have you done that? And for all who place their faith, their trust in Jesus, repenting and turning from sin, receives mercy and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And in the meantime, we live as citizens of his kingdom, not citizens of the culture. This world is not our home. And we press on by faith. Look at these in, in closing. I'd encourage you to underline these verses in the Bible. I'm putting it up on the screen so that you see them because these are strong declarations of God's truth. Verse four, the righteous shall live by faith. Are you living by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done? 
I trust that you, ha you have done that or you are or you will make him your Lord and Savior and you will live by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea that one day, one day it will happen, one day. Justice will be reigned out one day. God's glory, one day. There no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow, one day. And then we also see in verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know, next week, Lord willing, as we move into chapter three, we're gonna see for Habakkuk how his circumstances didn't change, but his heart changed. Even though everything was not right around him, everything wasn't right in the world, he rejoiced. His heart was right, even though the world wasn't. And how we get to that place is by spending time with God. We spend time in worship, and we're going to be worshiping in a moment. We take our confusions, our questions, our hopes, our dreams, our devastations to God. Friday, I was able to quickly fly to Calgary, and just God arranged that through a family here in the church for me to get there, and you can put that picture up of Carol, and I was able to go and spend some time with this dear woman. That other person on the right is the angel of mercy that God has brought into her life from one of our family churches, Redemption Calgary South, and who is there just helping and assisting Carol. And as you know, she's battling cancer. And it's been like a roller coaster of emotions for her. First of all, finding out she had cancer, and then there was some hopeful news and some, some good doctor's reports that came back, and now it's in the hip, and she has a broken hip. And, and, and there's just a lot going on in her life. But, you know, for, those, for that time that I got to spend with her on Friday afternoon, it was a little piece of heaven. In the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the tears and the laughter that was shed in the midst of time spent in the word of God as Carol continued to cry at times. She said, Melvin, you have to understand as I'm crying, these are tears of joy. These are joy because I know, I know who I believe. I know what God has in store for me and I'm ready and I can't wait. And she said, perhaps my work here on earth is done. And I'm thinking, not yet. And she continues to pray and as she continues to be an inspiration and encouragement of someone who's found hope even when life is hard. And so, Lord, even now, as we get ready to worship you, that's where taking these questions, it's getting our eyes off of the circumstances, it's getting it back on you. We thank you for examples of faith like what we have in your word, prophets like Habakkuk, faithful servants. We have faithful servants and followers of yours like Carol, God, like Habakkuk, like Carol, like many other great examples that we have, may we bring our confusions and our questions and our longings and our heart's desires, as well as our wrong pursuits and our wrong ambitions and the things that need to be confessed. Would we bring those all to you and repent of the areas of sin and we would worship we would look at which one of these woes is having an effect in my life right now is, is king in my life or I'm cre allowing these things to creep into my life or into my business or into my time and God, would we redirect that back to you knowing that your love is greater than anything. We know that, that, that judgment has been redirected because of Jesus. Your wrath, God, went onto your son Jesus and we thank you and so we worship him now. And so, God, would you meet with us today and this week? Would we examine our lives? Would we repent? Would we confess? But would we also worship you, the one true God? Let's stand together.